The early church used creeds to spread the gospel and truths of God. In this series, we'll be exploring the Apostles' Creed through Scripture to learn why we believe what we believe. For more information, visit us online at lifepointpeople.com. Good morning. If you've been coming here a while, you're probably like, what church have I walked into? We sang hymns. We're studying the Apostles' Creed. The pastor's shirt is buttoned all the way up to his neck. Well, I want you to know, during the week, we did change the name of the church to the First Southern Baptist Presbyterian Reformed Lutheran Order of the Third Point of the Gospel. So we're, we're happy. I can't do this. <laughs> That's enough. That's why. There. Um, no, we're, we're, we're thrilled you're here, and uh, we are. We're studying the Apostles' Creed and going through it uh, kind of line by line for the next couple of months and really breaking it down. And we're doing that because, uh, as you saw through the images, this is something that has united the Christian church throughout the centuries. Um, it came about in the early 2nd, 3rd century, and it is uh, the truth of the gospel, right? And what has happened in our society, in our culture, is we have stopped looking at a creed such as this. We have stopped reminding ourselves who the Trinity is and uh, and the power of God, and we begin to sort of make up our own ideas about who God is as individual churches and congregations. And I, I had heard Matt Chandler from the Village Church preach this towards the, uh, in the fall of last year, and it just so rang true with my heart, and I said, that is life point. We've got to come to a unity of believers on, on what is the core basics of who uh, the Godhead is. So, before I go any further into this week's, uh, I want to talk about, because I got multiple questions on it, and then even the elders asked me about it, and so I said I would take about five minutes this morning and discuss one of the phrases in the creed. Can you guess which one it is? The Holy Catholic Church. Oh, I can't say it, Pastor. It's so difficult. That word, the C word, don't make me say Catholic, right? I, I am not part of the Catholic Church. Well, Okay, good. Uh, that's good for you. Uh, not, I, I want to be clear about something. The, the Apostles' Creed does not say the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, that is the Catholic Church I know you're thinking of. The Apostles' Creed also does not have the word Catholic capitalized, right? Do we have that? Can we, bring, can we pop that up there again? If you go and you're in Microsoft Word and you type in the word Catholic with a lowercase c, it will put a red line underneath it and say, didn't you mean capital C Catholic? Referring to the Catholic Church. And I, of course, respond, no, I mean Catholic, as in the church universal, as in the, uh, God's people across the world. Now, this is one reason at LifePoint we so heavily uh, push you to get out and do a mission trip somewhere. And I'm not talking about a mission trip to somewhere like New Jersey. I'm talking about like get out. I know that's all I had for New Jersey. Uh, I'm talking about get out of the, of the country and see how people who follow Jesus worship. See how people who are not oppressed with wealth worship God. And did you catch that there? How people who do not have everything that they could possibly want given to them, how do they worship a God who says, I will sustain you, I will sustain your breath, I will sustain your shelter, I will sustain the food that you eat? How do they worship Him? It's beautiful, I can tell you that much from having been there. It's beautiful to see people who have nothing, who don't know where tomorrow's meal is coming from, how they worship God. How through something like this creed, we are united as one universal church 
brothers and sisters to the one true God. They don't care if I am Southern Baptist. They don't care if I'm Pentecostal, if I'm Reformed. Those are things we've given each other in this incredibly wealthy nation and other wealthy nations have started. They just ask, do you love him? Do you love him? Nice. Amen. From the mouths of babes. So this is referencing Christians everywhere, all time, throughout time. So don't let the hang-up of the word Catholic be a reason you can't speak it. Now, there's a reason I kept it in there. I want you to uh, look at Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is John, right? After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the Catholic Church. That's the universal church. That is God's church. That is not man's church. That is not LifePoint's church. That is not the Reformed Congregation of America's church. That is the universal church. Every tribe, every nation crying out glory to the Lamb of God. Now here's the deal. I knew this would be a sticking point, and yet I chose to keep it in there anyway. And there's other versions of it, right? The Pentecostal church, uh, not the Pentecostal church, the uh, Protestant church, particularly the Lutheran church, changed it to say the Holy Christian Church. Some say the earliest version of it, it just said the Holy Church. But here's why I wanted to keep it. Because if we look at the Latin, the etymology of the word that was used, which is Catholicim or Catholicus, you can see here, its actual definition is universal. See this? Now the world will always want to take what God meant for good and turn it to something different, right? will turn it to evil. The world will always take what is meant for evil and turn it to something good. Christ talks about this in the Gospels, doesn't he? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when God flooded the earth? Did he give us a symbol that he would never destroy the earth again? What was that symbol? Rainbow. That's wonderful because while you've been in here, I've had my ushers putting rainbows on the back of all of your cars. It's going to be a wonderful gesture. <laughs> It's going to be beautiful. It says life point. It's just a rainbow. It's big. It covers your whole back windshield. <laughs> you see, our interpretation of a word, I will not allow it to be defined by the culture. I will allow it to be defined by the scripture. So I, we could have changed it to the Holy Christian Church. But then what if I take that down to a village in Honduras where I'm going this summer and I show them the Apostles' Creed and I say, now you say it like this, it's Holy Christian Church. And they go, what's a Christian? Well, it's what you are now. Oh, okay, is that what they called themselves in the Bible? Well, no, that's what other people called them in the Bible. They actually called themselves the follower of the way, in which case you'd be a way-in. <laughs> and there's already two of those here, and that's more than enough. And so we look at something like a title as important, God doesn't. And so I left Catholic in there because it means his church universal and it helps you and I get over our, our predispositional sort of false thinking about things. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but I am letting you know why it's there. 
and that there's a purpose to it being there. So if you want mind and if you want to, you can stand with me. We're going to repeat, uh, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together as is being done all over the world in churches as we come into agreement and unity on what the Creed says about the divinity of God. And I'll remind you, as I did last week, there is no power in this. There is no, this is not an incantation. Like gold sparkly dust will not appear in the ceiling, most likely. And uh, if it does, it's probably asbestos and you should get out. Um, otherwise, <laughs> we're just going to recite this as, a, as an affirmation of unity amongst one another. So here we go. Let's see it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Amen. Amen. That's what we believe. This is what we stand on. You see... The Apostles' Creed, obviously historic in nature, was developed quickly in the life of the church, and it's important because it keeps us away from false teaching, which has a way of creeping in. I mentioned that last week. But I want you to know something. It wasn't actually the first creed. I, in my studies, I heard a pastor preaching on this, and I loved this concept. I had never thought about this before because the Apostles' Creed really is sort of looked at as the first creed post, uh, post-Christ's death and resurrection. Um, but the first creed, he said, was here. When rumors were flying around about who Jesus was, they were saying, he's a prophet. They were calling him a great teacher. And at one point, he took a field trip with his disciples, and he turns to them and he says, you hear what they're calling me, who do you say that I am? And remember what Peter says? You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, that is a creed. Because Peter was one of a handful of people, maybe two handfuls, in the entire world at the time who believed that statement. Isn't that crazy? That's the first creed. That's the first spoken word. Not just that you are Lord, not just that you were sent from God Almighty, but you are His Son. That's who you are, and I am confessing it with my mouth. Have you ever sort of known something to be true, but you knew you were in a group where the group didn't think it was true, so you just sort of kept your mouth shut? Right? Like, you're hanging out with a group of people, and they're like, Donald Trump's the greatest. And you're like, yeah. Right? But you don't want to be the one. You don't want to start the debate. You don't want to start the fight. So you just sort of keep quiet. You don't even stick your thumb up. You just sort of put it down. And you're just going to be even killed about it. That's what Peter could have done. Right? There's plenty of other disciples there. Let them answer. But he answers. He steps out, and he is bold, and he gives the first creed. You are Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. And I stand on that, and I believe that, and I will proclaim that. Now, he denied him three times later, but it helped set up a pretty effective ministry. So last week we looked at I believe in. This week we're looking at God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So the Apostle Paul went to Greece to preach the gospel, right? And he gets there and he sees this pagan altar and underneath it is written the inscription, To an unknown God. 
Think about that for a minute. So the people of Greece were covering their backs, the little CYA, with all of their gods that they create. And this time, they don't even know which god this is to. And so they just create this beautiful pagan altar, and they say, you know what? Just in case we missed you, this is you, God, to an unknown god. We don't know you. We don't know what you're going to do to us. We just hope it won't be smiting. Acts 17, 23 through 28. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, and they that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set out for them and where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, listen, some of your own Greek philosophers have said, we are his offspring. We are his children. He is our father. See, Paul's reminding the Greeks, you have a father. It's not Zeus. See, the idea of a god being a father was not foreign to the Eastern pagan religion. Do you understand that? That wasn't like a new thing that Jesus said, God is our father. That would have been a common thing. But here's the deal. The fathers, the fatherly images of the Greek gods were not the kind of dad who would come and hold your hand at your little league tryouts. He wasn't the dad who saw you get a C on your report card and say, come on, champ, you can do better than that. This was the kind of father that you feared, that you hoped to stay away from his wrath and his anger, that you made sure that when he came home, you were nowhere to be found. This was the pagan God's idea of a father. And Jesus comes and gives us completely, utterly different attributes of what God the Father looks like. He gives us two things that he's going to teach us in this prayer. Matthew 6, 9-13. I encourage you, grab a Bible. We'll have it up here, but read it for yourself. Don't take it for granted. One of these days, I'm just going to stick words up here that aren't in Scripture just to make sure you're paying attention. I may have already done that. Our God is infinitely powerful and intensely personal Father. He's not a pushover. He's not weak. He's not, he's not a jerk. He's not wrathful. He's incredibly powerful and intensely personal. And we can see that that's how Paul described him to the Greeks. And then we get to see uh, before that how Jesus describes him in this prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. How many people have heard that prayer before? Right? Yeah. If you've pretty much just been anywhere or not even have to go to church, you've heard that prayer. In fact, so many of the Christian churches have taken that prayer and made it sort of this rote religious thing we say, because after all, Jesus told us to pray that way. 
And so I'm going to pray that exact way, and I'm going to use those exact words, and I'm going to say them over and over and over again, because that shows me how personal and, and loving my God is, just saying a rote prayer over and over again. No, I, I want to show you this prayer, and I want to show you it in a way that you maybe haven't ever looked at it before. Look at it like this from this perspective. Look at it as a son talking about his dad. Have you ever thought about that? Not God talking about God. Not Jesus, an ancient figure in an old book. Look at it as a son talking about his dad whom he loves. And I realize, I realize for many of us in here, that's a hard thing to picture because we didn't have those relationships with our father. But picture, if you can, him saying, as you talk to God, as he introduces the concept of Abba. What does Abba mean? Daddy. It means daddy. It's the way of saying father in such a personal way. My son says dada. Right? He doesn't call me father. He doesn't call me dad. He says dada. And that's his personal. I, that's, I'm, I'm his dada. I'm, I'm that close relationship. He can come to me. He can hang on my legs. He can punch me. He can be angry at me. And he knows I still love him through it. So this is what Jesus is introducing. And here's how he does it. He's going to show that heaven um, is a realm in which infinite space and power are occupied by the Lord. And so it starts off with this. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. He is my Father, but through the spirit of adoption, He becomes your Father. Whether Jew or Gentile, red, black, white, we don't care about any of that. Through the spirit of adoption, and I can tell you over the last six months, as my wife and I have begin to prepare our hearts first for adoption, and then over the last three weeks, begin to prepare our home to bring in kids for adoption. There is an incredible understanding that becomes there when I understand what it means for God to have accepted me. Because when you take a young boy or girl, and they get the message from their parents that they were not worth giving up the addiction, that they were not worth getting over the issues they had, that they were not worth the boyfriend or girlfriend that beat them, and then you take them and you stick them in a room with 18,000 other kids just in Arizona alone who are going through the same thing, you understand how valuable the spirit of adoption is. Because you've been told by everybody you knew and trusted that you are worthless, that you just aren't worth trying for. And then along comes this family, and they say, no, you are worth it, and we love you, and we're going to take you in, and we're going to love you, and you can't do anything to change that in our minds. That's what Jesus is wanting us to see with this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why should his name be hallowed? Why should his name be revered? You want to know how small-minded we are with this? <laughs> you want to know how small-minded we are with this idea of hallowed be your name? Is we look and we say, we see a hole in the ground and we don't have any fear or reverence for the hole, right? It's a small hole. Say it's three feet deep. You just walk around it. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's just a hole in the ground, people. It's just a really, really big hole in the ground. Have you ever stepped out on that glass pane or walked to the edge of the rails where you're leaning over? There is a fear, there is a reverence for something so massive and awe-inspiring, isn't there? 
Have you ever looked at these mole mounds we have that we call mountains here in Santan Valley? Have you ever stood at the base of Mount Everest? Me neither. But I imagine that there is a fear and a reverence. Why? They're both mountains. They're both something I climb. Because one has majesty. One has power. One could take my life if it wanted to. Same thing with God. There is a reverence and a a, a fear, not out of uh, fear of what he will do to me, but a fear out of who he is, out of the greatness, out of the majesty. I'm not afraid of the Grand Canyon because it's going to come up and shake me. I, I have a general reverence for it because I realize if I don't respect it, if I decide to hike down into it and I have no general fear of respect for it, it can take my life. Same as Everest. And that's what Jesus is saying is, hallowed be your name. Would your name be revered? Right? The Old Testament tells us to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Let's realize something here. Okay, church? Let's realize something here. To not take the Lord's name in vain is not about cursing. I know. If you've been in church for a while, mind blown. I grew up thinking, saying God, and then following it up with the word. You ready? Damn it. There, I did it, Casey. I said it from the stage. (laughs) That if I ever said that, I was going to hell for sure. And then I saw a shirt that said God's last name isn't that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear that. I'm going to teach all the sinners. You're going to go to hell if you say it. And we hate it. it. And it's a terrible word and it shouldn't be said. But listen, we become so myopic on what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain that we as Christians will not say God, right? We won't say that, but yet we'll go ahead and we'll deny Him with the way we live in front of our friends. We'll verbally abuse our spouse. We'll treat our kids horribly. We'll use every other word in the book and have language as bad as sailors, and yet we won't use that word, though, because I don't take the Lord's name in vain. Do you realize that what he's speaking about in the Old Testament is a product of your life, not whether or not you use a curse word? We're we're, going to grow up through this series, friends. I'm growing up through this series. It is less about that, and if you are sure not to use GD when you talk, but yet you deny God in other areas of your lifestyle that are plain and clear to your friends and your social circles, but you tidy things up for church, then you are uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Because you are calling yourself a Christian, you are putting the label of a Christ follower on you, and you are going out and living like the world. And that is taking His name in vain. So one of the things the creed is doing is it's showing us the triune nature of God. God the Father, Uh, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, the mediator. And God's kingdom is inaugurated in the coming of Jesus Christ. It will be consummated in the return of Jesus Christ when the power of God will be fully on the earth through the presence of the Holy Spirit as well. See that? The creed is bringing us to that. That is a deep thing to understand. That is not sort of Bible 101. That is not John 3.16. This is understanding the nature of what I'm getting myself into. But tell me this, to an adopted, to one of these foster kids looking for an adopted home, when they're in that mess, do you think they care about the kind of tile or the floor of the home they're going into? Do you think they care if they have a stainless steel sink or a farm style sink? Oh, I'd love to go with that family. They're really sweet, but their decor is terrible. <laughs> they are stuck in the 90s. The dad still wears his pants like up to here. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Kids don't care about that. What do they care about? They just want to know, will you love me? Right? And when the family shows them, I love you and I will love you, then there is a deeper understanding of what it means to be a part of the family now. And when we look at the triune nature of God and what the creed is doing, the creed doesn't just tell us that God forgave our sins. The creed shows us who God is. What does it mean to be a part of our family? Right? As we bring in a foster kid and adopt her, it's going to have to be, what does it mean to be a Bentley? What does it mean to take on that name and to be a part of this family? We have integrity. We have character. We have things we're going to expect from you. And we're going to love you. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this continues to show the triune nature of God because what it shows us is that when I pray and when I speak to God and I tell him, Lord, there is more to this life than my tiny bank account. There is more to this life than my problems, than my physical current condition. There is more to it. There is this kingdom of yours that I'm to be invested in. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to help me see beyond myself so I can be invested in that kingdom. Because if I'm not, then no matter what I believe, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm praying, I'm only invested in me. Help me, Lord. Help my situation. Help my friend so my friend can come over and listen to me talk about me again. Right? Oh, I'm so sorry. Where's Sally at? Sally's sick. It's terrible. We hope she gets better because I need her to come over Tuesday and play bridge, right? Like, there's always at some point some selfish side of things that we look at, and God is saying, there is a kingdom bigger than us, Lord. Allow me to see it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means, Lord, if it's your will that I suffer through this pain, if it's your will that I lose my spouse, that I lose a child, I don't know how to comprehend it, so you have to carry me through it, but it is your will, Lord. I asked you for this, and you said no. It is your will, Lord. And you have to sustain me through the pain and the suffering I'm going through because of it. Give us today our daily bread. Now this is where the prayer moves from God's infinite power, which has been everything we've read so far, right? It's God's infinite power, who He is, the realm of heaven. It's, it's all of that, and it's going to move from infinite power to infinite personal grace. Give us today our daily bread. I want to say this about love. And, and this, this is tough for some of us to hear. This is not saying, give me all that I want. Rather, Lord, give me what I need. Because if God truly loves you, I mean really loves you, then he's going to say no to a lot of things. And he's not just going to say no to the Ferrari you asked for. He's not going to just say no for the promotion you asked for. He's not just going to say no to a a more vibrant love life between you and your spouse that you asked him for but don't want to work for. I prayed about it, babe. I don't know what's happening. I've been like, God, help me out in this department. And he just isn't doing anything. Anyway, I'll see you later. No, it's, it's a lot less about that. And it's a loving father saying, no means I love you. No means I can see beyond what you can see. And I love you. I looked at when the Powerball was at $1.4 billion. Right? 
Who here bought a ticket for that? It's okay. Yeah, I did. Why not? The church could use it, right? We have a debt. And I would give all of mine away to the church, obviously. Um, thank you, Lord. And, but I remember, so it's one of those things where you're like, God, do I do this? Do I not? I was like, whatever. And as they were drawing the numbers, I was going, oh, gosh, what if I won? This, that would be terrible. Like, I know me. And I'm not great with money always. Like, that's why I have my wife, Christy. Like, she pulls me back in, and I'm fighting the other way, like, grabbing everything I can in the store. I'm like a four-year-old. And she's like, no, put that back. And uh, we only leave with bananas and, like, bran flakes. And so I look, and just the idea, the immense responsibility of that much money, your whole life would change. You'd have to go live in a gated community with a 50 cal on top of the roof just because you're worth billions of dollars and you're nobody. Like, you are going to have to change everything. All of your friends, they're worthless now. Your parents, they only want you for their money, obviously. And so everybody becomes suspicious. What are you going to do with all this money? Every charity is going to demand your attention and your time. And I just begin to be fearful and go, oh, Lord, please do not let me. Let me win like the $50,000 prize. I'll do okay with that one. Maybe the million. And all of a sudden, there's this realization that we ask God for things all the time. We don't understand what it would mean. What about those old love interests, right? Junior high, high school. God, please, please let her say yes. Holding your pillow at night. Just, just me? Just me, okay. And now with the power of Facebook, you're like, oh my goodness, thank you, God. Delete. Delete. Could have said yes to her, Lord friend. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everything turned out great there. Man, we do though. We, we, we totally judge God so many times based off of his yes or no for our requests, don't we? Oh, I prayed and God just hasn't given me that job yet. I prayed and me and the wife were just still struggling or me and my husband were still struggling. A father who loves us is a father who will say no to things that he knows aren't good for us. It is only a selfish, unloving father who is dealing with his own inadequacies that says yes to everything. Think about that. Times when I know I need to tell my son no, he wants extra treats, he wants to go outside, he wants to stay up late, but you just don't feel like the battle and the argument. So you're like, "What? yeah, go ahead, watch cartoons till midnight, whatever. It is the selfish father that doesn't take the time to say no. I'll be the bad guy. You need me to be the bad guy, I'll be the bad guy, so it's best for you. I know you can't see what staying up till midnight every night watching cartoons will do for you, but I know what it'll do for you, and that's why you're going to go to bed at this time. Imagine a God who has infinite power and knowledge who's doing that in your life because you've asked him to. Constantly course correcting you so you can be living the most fruitful, happy life, and the whole time you're kicking and screaming just pounding on his hands, going, come on, I want to do it. He's like, shut up. No, he wouldn't say that. He'd, be, he'd say, be quiet, because shut up is rude. We don't say that in this house. Right? We don't say that. We say, be quiet. So then they scream at each other, be quiet. You're missing the heart of the issue here, son. Um, our daily bread is giving us what we actually need. Uh, remember, we're not smarter than God. <laughs> right? Who here is smarter than God? Don't raise your hand, Chad. Don't, don't do it. We're not smarter than him, no matter how much we know or think we know about the situation. Proverbs 37 through 9. I love when people try to say the Bible contradicts itself. 
I usually look at them and say, you should probably read a Bible and not a sound bit on the Facebook, right? Like, actually go read it. It's unbelievable how over centuries, different countries, different writers, and it all actually meshes perfectly. Like, you show me any other volume of work that does that. And I know that Encyclopedia Britannica is beautiful, but it is nowhere close to Scripture. Proverbs 37 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Watch this next one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may be too poor and have to steal Do not allow me to offend your name, O Lord. How many people feel like in this country we have too much to trust God? We have too much to know that without Him, I may not eat tomorrow. See, whether we admit it or not, it is a truth we live under. And that's why I talked about the oppression of wealth. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Remember, this whole time we're looking at the heart of the Father and Jesus is praying this. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You see, I grew up with it saying trespasses. You grew up with it maybe saying sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The point is this. It all means the same thing. It's saying, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you pardon my sin that I may pardon the sin in someone else? That's tough, right? That's a tough thing to say it's even tougher to actually do it. And there are religions and there are people in this world and cults and everything else that have looked to man to be the pardon for them and no man can take the place of God. No man can take the place of the power to pardon you from your sin, freeing you to pardon those who have sinned against you. That is Christ's prayer to His Father. Forgive us our debts so we can forgive those who owe us, Lord. Do you see that? That's the kind of God I serve. That's the kind of personal God I serve. That He knows individually my debt. And He's willing to forgive it so that I can forgive those and live in freedom myself. When we trust, when we rebel against this, when we decide to do our own thing, when we decide to sort of live our own life, we're like, I know what the church says, I know what pastor preached about, but I really want to engage in X, whatever. You, you fill in the blank for whatever your temptation is. Expect there to be collateral damage. Just expect it. Because God loves you so much, He is going to expose the sin in you. He has the power to, and he does not want you to be overtaken by it. And as a loving dad, he's going to expose that sin in you, which leads us to verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. See, God knows you so well, he knows exactly what's temptation for you. If I had a brown bag up here, and in it I said there was temptation, right? If I opened said bag and there was alcohol, that would not be a temptation for me. It just never has been. If there was Drugs, marijuana, that would not be my temptation. If there was cocaine, not my temptation. If there was a six-pack of donuts, I would be in trouble. Like, cake, pie, no, I'm, I'm good. Donuts, I'd have to seriously consider whether or not I wasn't going to take two or six. And think about it, right? And, of course, to lust. But I figured I'd use donuts because it makes me look better on stage. But then there's that whole lust thing that I've talked about as well. 
You see, God knows individually our temptation. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can handle. And many of you are sitting there going, oh, no, I have been tempted above what I could handle. I begged him to get me out of the situation, and I just sat there, and I still did it. (laughs) And God's like... You missed like the 14 opportunities I had. You put your phone on vibrate, and when it was vibrating, you shut it off. Like, I was calling you. I was intervening in your life, and you're like, oh, yeah, but you could have, you know, caused like a blackout or something, and then I would have been fine. God always provides a way out, it says, so you can endure it. He knows we're tempted. We have a father who doesn't empathize, but uh, doesn't sympathize, but empathizes with us. He knows what it means to be tempted. He himself was tempted. And then lastly, deliver us from the evil one. And as I thought about an explanation for this, the most clear memory came to my mind. Uh, when I was 10, 11 years old, we went to a Taco Bell. You guys remember Taco Bell? It was real popular in the 90s. And uh, they're trying to come back now. And... Um, this little Mexican restaurant, right? right? Right, Patsy? Real authentic Mexican food? Yeah. Um, and we're, we're there. I'm 10. I've got my buddy Jesse with me. He's 10. My little brother, who's 8. And we're sitting there with the family, my mom and dad. We eat our taco smell, and we're done. And we go to the bathroom. The three of us boys go to the bathroom, wash up, right? And about three minutes, uh, three, five minutes before we went to the bathroom, this group of gangly-looking, like Metallica, Megadeth-wearing kids, long hair, comes in, and they just look like bad news, right? And uh, we're good Christian boys, and we're just seeing, we're just like, dang, man, look at those guys, they're awesome. And <laughs> we go to the bathroom, and I don't even remember, it's just so foggy, I just remember opening the door to the bathroom, and I feel this hand on my shoulder sort of turn me around, and there's like all three, it was three or four of them, right there. Remember, like, I, I'm this big, right? And, and they're just towering over me. And just like these lights, all I see is their faces. And this guy holds out this vial, this little vial, and he goes, hey man, you want some candy? Kid you not. And it's this white rock in there. And I was like, no, no, you know, totally heart pounding, freaking out. He's like, come on, go ahead, take it, take some candy. And his boy's like, yeah, take some candy. And I'm sitting there in this doorway, and Jesse and my brother, they're sort of sitting right behind me. And I'm just like, no, man, I, I don't want it. Next thing I know, all I see him is, like, I just see, like, he's gone. He's out of the picture. And I'm like, what the? And then I look, my eyes open again, and he is, my father has slammed him up against the wall and is holding him. Let me just tell you, my dad was no more than a buck sixty, right? Gangly, skinny, white guy. And he picks this teenager up like he's nothing. Another patron comes and like tackles one of the other guys and he's just saying words I didn't know my dad knew like has him up against the wall And I remember we just backed into the bathroom and started crying right like what is happening? And And we're just bawling our eyes out and then most incredible thing right dad comes in uh, The other guy has been taken down by another person there in the Taco Bell And he comes in and he gets down and he just puts his arm around the three of us And the scripture says when Jesus is talking about his daddy and he says he will deliver you from the evil one, that is the picture I get. That when the devil is crouching at your door, when he wants to wreck your life, your marriage, your job, that when we turn and we believe, remember, I don't just know, when I believe in God the Father Almighty, then he will deliver me from that. He will deliver me from that. 
The symmetry of understanding the Father looks like this. We talked last week about symmetry, right? Some of us know God is intensely personal, <laughs> i.e., Jesus is my homeboy. That's sort of the, that's how relaxed our culture is on God. Oh yeah, me and Jesus were buds. He's my homeboy. Look, my shirt. Some of us know God is intensely powerful, i.e., please do not smite me, Almighty Smiter. And we grew up with this idea that God is ready to pounce on us whenever we do something wrong. There needs to be symmetry in that. There needs to be an understanding. Now, what does this understanding look like? The easiest way I can think about it is like this. I am not a wrathful guy. My father was not a wrathful guy. I don't think he'd been in a single fight in his entire life. But when you messed with his kids, I saw a side of him come out that I'd never seen, and since then, 20 plus years later, have never seen in him again. He raised his voice to a depth that would have made Barry White jealous. Like, it was so deep and scary that I've since, even in his anger, anger at me, angry, just whatever, have never heard him yell like that since that point again. You see, my dad could not be characterized as a wrathful man. And yet in that moment when you mess with one of his kids, there came up an ire. So when we look at God of the Old Testament and we see these countries killing and raping and destroying the Israelite people and we look at the wrath of God we're looking at it from the wrong lenses it's a dad stepping in and protecting his children from the evil one he is not a wrathful God he is not it's not his nature to be wrathful his nature is loving and forgiveness and grace and we see that with his children over and over and over again but when you mess with his kids watch out when you mess with them, watch out. And when you have that understanding of God's power and God's personal relationship with you, it becomes easier to understand why you should believe in who He is and move from knowing to believe. And lastly is this. He loves you so much that He hates the sin that ruins and, and, and drives your life at times. And He will expose you. I mentioned this earlier. His job is to expose you. Recently, uh, there was this website, Ashley Madison. You guys heard of it? Don't say yes. <laughs> Careful. Um, they got hacked. So the website was a place for married people to go and have affairs. Their tagline was, uh, life is short, have an affair. Right? They took adultery and said, let's, let's make it awesome. Sort of like when I compared, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. No, it's a frozen piece of cardboard. Stop making it sound awesome. They did that with affairs. And what happened is these hackers came in and took all of the people's personal information and just put it out on the web. And anybody could see who was signed up on Ashley Madison. You could go to a website and click on it and see it, right? Here's the deal. There were 15,000 government employees on there. There were thousands of professors and community leaders. And I pick on these two because of this. These are the people who are making policy in our country. These are the people who are educating and forming the minds of our young people. And I'll pick on myself as well. There were 400 pastors on the list. Here's the thing. As this went down, it made me think, could this have been a lot like God using the Assyrians to help teach his kids a lesson? in the Old Testament, right? The Babylonians. Remember the captivity they were under? Was this like a modern day way for God to expose the sin of some of his kids 
so that they could get right, so that they could bring what was in the dark into the light and get healing? And I'll answer you 100% yes. Because a father who loves you will expose the sin in you so you do not stay in it. And so my, my plea to you is this as we close. If you have anything going on in your life right now, take it from somebody who's been there. Do not wait to be exposed by your father. Do not think that you can come and play church and sing the songs and volunteer and maintain a great life outside of it because the more close you get to him, the more you pray, the more these words start to sink in, but you don't deal with that temptation that's hanging on to you, the worse the, the, worse the reveal will be. Because when we pray to God to make us more like Him, He says, great, first we've got to take care of a few things. And He brings it to the light. Have you ever felt like you always are the one getting caught? Right? Like, I know my poor wife does. She's got every ticket she's had, poor thing. She can't speed. She can't drink a Dr. Pepper without me finding it hidden somewhere in the house. I love you, babe. It's because the Lord's exposing it in you. Just, amen. My donuts are another story. <laughs> but he does. He exposes it. He wants to draw it out of us so we can be healthy. And my advice to you is this. Come forward with it before God has to expose it. The relationships, your life, the, the um, repercussions of it will be less if we come forward with it. And you say, well, I might lose this. I might, yeah, you might. There's a bunch of tough things that could happen. But if you would trust me, dealing with it now will be better than waiting for it to happen later. And plus, you have the freedom and the weight that it's been on your shoulders lifted now. And it's such a freeing place to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this section of the Creed, God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I feel ill-equipped to preach in your name. I have done my best to describe you, Lord, and how I know you, how you've been in my life, how you've treated me with grace, how you've said no to many requests, how you've exposed sin. And Father, all it's done is draw me into a deeper walk and a realization of what it means to know you and follow you. I pray for the men and women in this room, Lord, that for those in here who need prayer right now, who need to have somebody that they can pray with and, and confess to and speak about what next steps are. For those in here, Lord, who just want a relationship with you because they don't have that yet, I pray that you would have the boldness to get up and go back to our prayer room. Just get up wherever you're at and go back there and talk with someone. Let them know how you're feeling. Let them know what God is doing on your heart. Let them know where you think he's taking you. Because, Lord, all the knowing, all the false belief in the world will lead us to nothing unless we surrender this to you and we trust you. And while you're sitting there just sort of spending some time with the Lord, I want to ask you these two questions. Do you believe that God is good? I mean, really, do you believe that he is good? And the second question is this. Do you believe that he is for you? you believe he's for you. Father, be with us this week. Give us opportunities 
to show that. Give us opportunities, Lord, to love others. Give us opportunities, Lord, to bring about temptation into the light. Thank you, Father. It's in that name we pray. Amen.